0: Remember Paul's second letter to the Corinth church, defending his ministry, speaking on all his hurt, afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but no despair. No matter what may come, he knew that God was there. You see, I feel the same, therefore I don't complain. I know that growth is changed, change is loss, and loss is pain. So when the storms come, I'm dancing in the rain. My worship doesn't change, I'm still praising his name. You see the blood of Jesus, that's what the devil hates. So I stay up in prayer, because Jesus lifts weights. I'm not done. <laughs> Romans eight thirty one. That's where I put my trust. If God is on our team, who can be against us? I'm in the book of James. I count it all joy. The enemy's trying hard, but he can't mess with your boy. You hear me teaching, don't you? This here is more than rap. In fact, I only do this so you don't take a nap. So if I got your attention, I hope you ain't bored. We about to talk about the great joy of the Lord. Let's go. Yo, and give it up for the online community. What is up, Brittany, Nathan? Give it up for the online family. Come on. Yeah. My name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm the teaching and community pastor here at the Carmel location. Um, If you are here for the first time, we believe that this is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Nobody is too far away from God to be discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus, and we believe that. We live that out week to week, day to day, in everything that we do. I do this thing every time I get started. I say, good morning, Mercy Road. You say, good morning, Rashad. I don't need no praise. I don't need no accolades, no nothing, but I do need to know that you have the energy for what's about to happen in the Word of God. Amen? So let's try that real quick. Good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Rashad. That was perfect. Y'all never do it perfect. We're going to do it again, mama. We're going to do it again anyway. Let's try it again. Let's try it one more time. Good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Mercy Road. See, I should say that wasn't perfect. Do it. not never mind. All right, here we go. Here we go. So I want to start off by giving some context to the story that we're going to be in. We are going to be in Luke... Chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, so you can start getting there now, but let me give you some context to build up to how we get to where we're at. Now, if you would have been born in, like, the New Testament times when Jesus was born, and you would have been a Jewish student, you would have went to a synagogue where you would learn the Old Testament, like, by heart. You know, we learn our ABCs, our 1, 2, three, social studies, language, all that stuff. They would have learned the Old Testament, right? And so what happens is this. They would have first read Genesis 1 and 2, where they would have seen in the beginning was God, and God was perfect, and God made this, and it was good, and God made that, and it was good, and God made man and woman, and everything was good, everything was perfect. And then God gave man a choice and said, hey, you can depend on me to determine what's good and evil, or you can make the choice yourself to determine what's good and evil. Man makes that choice by eating of the fruit, and he is removed from the garden. When he's removed from the garden, that leads to death destruction, disease, we see Cain kill Abel, and the rest of the uh, first five books of the Bible simply tell the law of God for how to be perfect to get back in the garden. You would have read this as a child, like, man, things were perfect. Why did it get messed up? And after it got messed up, here's all the things that you need to do. 613 commandments. Some of them say do. Some of them say don't. So that you can get back to the garden where there was no pain, no tears, no disease, no destruction, no racism, no killing, no murders, no nothing. But then you find out in a lot of the remainder of that Old Testament from the book of Joshua all the way to Esther that Israel just couldn't get Right. You as a child, as a Jew, as an Israelite yourself would have read this and been like, man, like I'm looking at my ancestors and they just couldn't figure it out. They just couldn't get right. So who will ever go to the garden again? Because when I look at those rules, when I look at those standards, they're so high that I can't keep them either. But then as a child, you would have read Isaiah 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord... Look at that, the devil. All right. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. You would have read Isaiah 51.3. Indeed. The Lord will comfort Zion, and he will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of melody. Then you would have read 52.9, where it says, Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And you would have memorized these things, and you would have known them word for word. And this would have been the only thing that you had that would tell you that you could get back to the garden somehow, this prophecy of Isaiah or some of the other prophets. And so when we come to Luke 2, 25, it says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Righteous meaning he believed God. Righteousness in the Old Testament is the same as it is in the New Testament if you believe God is considered as righteousness. And so he would have been reading these Old Testament scriptures, right? And he would have came across some of these promises, and he would have believed that there's a way to get back to the garden. He would have believed that there's a way to get back to the things that was not broken. And it says, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, or as we know, for the comfort of Israel. He was searching for something. He was looking for something. For something, he believed that God had a solution to get back to the garden, to get back to when things weren't broken and all messed up. And so he spent his whole life searching for that. And when we when we're introduced to him in the Bible, it says Simeon was righteous and devout, and he was searching for comfort. My first point today is that the great joy of the Lord is the source of our search. It's the source of our search. Anybody got a remote control to their TV that has feet? No, no just me? Okay, okay. See, I, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll change the channel and put it down and, and these little micro feet get up and put it somewhere else that I didn't put it, right? And so what happens is, see, the problem is I don't like to get up to have to go to my TV to change the channel, right, sis? And so I... I even though what I want is this end result of the channel changing without me getting up, the source of my search is the remote control, not the channel change, right? It used to be my daughter, Genesis, and she'd come all the way from her room. Hey, turn the TV for me, right? But I don't have that option. She's in college now. So, so when I go looking for something, I'm looking not for the end result but for the source that gives me the end result, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all catching that? Y'all catching that? Many of us today are searching for something. Happiness, joy, love, relationship, healing, all these things. And so we we go searching, but we don't even know what we're searching for, so we end up with all these substitutions. We got pills and alcohol and drugs and relationships, and we think that these things are going to give us this joy that's everlasting, but that joy is temporary because we don't know what we're supposed to be searching for. Simeon believed the word of God and said that the source of the search was the joy of the Lord, the comfort of Israel. See that word constellation? I got a small vocab. I don't know what that means, right? I was like, constellation, that's a big word to me. Constellation. Is that like the stars, like constellation? No, that ain't it, right? And so I went back into the Old Testament to kind of look at it. See, I used to play basketball back in the day. And back in the day when I played basketball, I played for this team called the Hendricks County Hoopsters, right? And we were from Hendricks County, and I was from Hallville, right? And so, like, it was an all-white team, and I was like, man, I'm going to be the best player. I had all my pride and all these stereotypes that shouldn't matter, but I had it. Okay, I had it. And we would go out to these far-out, far-out places like Avon. And, um, and, and, so, and so when I was out there, we would play these other teams that were pretty much predominantly white as well. And I'm like, man, I'm about to dominate and be the MVP. They don't even got an MVP award, but I'm going to win it because I'm bad, and we would get out there, and it's a one, it's a one, you know, one game elimination. If you lose, you're out, and, and we lost, first game. First game, and, and then they had this thing called a consolation tournament, right? And I don't want to play no consolation tournament. I'm a winner. We lost because of them, even though it's because of me. And so, like, we would play the consolation tournament, and I didn't know what that meant. And so I became a coach myself, right, Pops? Like, I became a coach, and my daughter played basketball. And so we would drive even further out like Danville, right? And, and we would go really far out, and we would spend all this money to, get a, to be a part of this tournament. And then if we lost the first game, I would feel defeated. Like, we spent all this money. We got these parents to come out here all just to lose the first game, sis. And they'd be like, coach, coach, don't worry about it. We have a consolation bracket. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, you keep telling me this stuff. And I was like, well, when you've been defeated, it gives you hope for another game. Ain't that good, sis? Look at this. Look, (laughs) consolation of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, what you see is that Israel has been defeated, exiled. They've been broken. Humanity's been broken. And there's this consolation after the defeat that gives you hope so that you can keep going. So this is what Simeon was looking for. He was looking for comfort after the defeat. He was looking for consolation of Israel. And he was searching, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter, was upon him. So he's looking for comfort, and the Comforter is upon him, leading him into this temple to where he's going to hold comfort. But, But see, some of us, we don't listen to the Holy Spirit to lead us. You ever been in a situation where you ask somebody to show you where something is, and they don't even know where it is? I don't know what happens, but when I go to Walmart, for whatever reason... When I'm in the video game section, because I guess they think I'm too old to play video games or something, I've been in the video game section and a parent will say, can you help me find XYZ video game? I don't work there, but they think I work there. So we both looking for something that we both don't know how to find, right? (laughs) And she don't know it, but I'm just going to keep because it's like the right thing to do, right? And so what ends up happening is a lot of us in the same way have somebody helping us find something that they don't even know where to find it. You're looking for the joy of the Lord, but you're looking at the strip club and at the porn and you're looking into your job and your success and your education. You're looking into your popularity and your your platform and all this. And none of those things are going to get you to the actual source of the joy of the Lord, which is Jesus. So I have to ask you, like, do you even know what you're looking for? Do you even truly know what you're looking for? because you keep ending up at these places of this temporary joy, but it's not eternal joy. And it's because the source of what you're you're holding onto is something that can be taken from you. We just talked about contentment two weeks ago. It can die, it can be taken from you, you can lose it. And so you've made this the source of your joy. And you wonder why a couple weeks later you're depressed or a couple years later you're upset or a a couple decades later it fails you. It's because it's not eternal joy. That comes from the source of the Lord, and it's the joy of the Lord. Amen, somebody. Amen. So look at this, y'all. The Bible says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Now, what happens is back then, um, after Jesus would have been circumcised, which would have been seven days later, which is according to the custom of the law, a woman would have had to wait 33 more days before she could enter the temple. So this is like day 40, so she can go in and have her like it's her ceremonial cleansing, okay? And so she's in here. She don't know Simeon. Simeon don't know her. But because he's being led by the spirit, he's being led by the comforter to comfort, he just happens to be in the temple at the same time that Mary's there for her cleansing. Just happens to be, right? No, that's God at work, right? And, and, and so the, 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 Bible told, the, the Bible had told Simeon, hey, you won't die before you see life. You won't see death before you see life. You won't see death before you see this thing that you're searching for. Can you imagine that? Like I just, I just, I just say this first service, but can you imagine like Simeon being at dinner with his wife and his wife being like, you need to watch your calories. He's like, I ain't going to die before I see the Lord's Christ. I'm going to eat what I want. (laughs) Right. I just, I don't know. That's in my head. But anyway, (laughs) and, and, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took it to his arms and blessed God and said, "Now Lord, you are releasing your bond servant and to die in peace." Like he's been searching all his life. For this comfort, this solution, this consolation, this answer to the problems of life, not just for him, but for his people. He's led by the Spirit into this temple. And there's probably more than just one baby there, but there's something about this baby that stands out. There's something about this child. There's a baby there. I would have come get the baby, but I'm not going to. All right? There's something about this child. <laughs> and he says, you're releasing me to die in peace now. See, the great joy of the Lord is the source of our solutions. That's my second point. What solutions? Any solutions. He looks and he says, this is what I've been searching for. This is what you promised in the Bible. This is what you told me in the Old Testament, that there was going to be a Messiah, that there was going to be a Savior, that there was going to be a Deliverer. And the Holy Spirit has led me into here. And there's something about this child that's different. I, I see all the solutions to all the problems in the world right here. And he says, I can die in peace now knowing that you have fulfilled your promise, not only that was in your word, but told me I wouldn't even be able to die until I saw him, and now I can die knowing that I've seen him. And so the joy of the Lord becomes the source of our solutions. I don't know about y'all, but anybody grow up where their mama had like a magic potion that made everything better? Uh, for my mama, you know this, Deja. My, my mama, it was Vicks, right? <laughs> Vicks Vapor Rub, right, Deja? Right? If I was coughing, put some Vicks on your chest. If my lips was chapped, put some Vicks on your lips. If my nose was running, put some Vicks on your nose. If my arm was broke, put some Vicks on your elbow, right? Vicks was supposed to make everything, and I don't know why, but in my little young mind, it did. Vicks Vapor Rub, go look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but I would put Vicks on everything, then I got a little bit older. And then my bank account was broke. Vicks didn't fix that. <laughs> And my wife was mad at me. Vicks didn't fix that either. <laughs> right? Like, like it, it worked for these things temporarily, and it worked for so long, but at some point, it just couldn't, you know, take care of all the solutions I need. So I start searching for something that could take care of all the solutions. Not just a solution when I was a certain age or in a certain culture or because I was a part of a certain family. I needed a fix for all solutions. And it's funny. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who, who gives us some kind of specific comfort that will comfort us in all of our affliction. But here's the kicker. So that we can comfort others in any affliction. Now check this out. Now check this out. There's something about that word any that I don't like, sis. Straight out, Lauren, you white, and I'm black, and you a female, and I'm a male. And so we, (laughs) it's like, duh, right? I'm getting somewhere with this. We have differences, right? And there's some things that you go through that I just wouldn't be able to understand what you're going through, and there's some things I go through that you just wouldn't be able to understand what I'm going through. So how can you comfort me in my affliction and I comfort you in your affliction if I don't even know how you afflicted or what it feels like to be afflicted the way you've been afflicted? right? Something about what God provides us in our affliction is supposed to be able to comfort any, everybody say any, any Any affliction, meaning it doesn't matter if I know what you've experienced or your background or your culture or your ethnicity or your tax bracket or your education, it don't matter. Whatever this is, it will comfort any affliction. And there's only one thing that will comfort any affliction, And Simeon believed his name was Jesus. Check this out, y'all. Check this out. It says, when he walked in and said that, you know, you're releasing your bonds over to depart in peace according to your word, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, look at this, y'all. Luke is a Greek who writes in Greek to another Greek person named Theophilus. He's writing this gospel to Theophilus, who's Greek. So he writes this in Greek, and it says, For my eyes have seen your soterion, which is salvation. Soterion, right? But Simeon is a Jew who speaks in Hebrew, and he walks into this Hebrew temple, this Jewish temple, and there's Hebrew folks around him. He wouldn't have said soterion, right? He most likely would have held that baby, not known the baby's name. And said, My eyes have seen Yeshua. God is my salvation, is Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. He would have named the baby without even knowing the baby's name because he knows what the baby is. Salvation. Y'all supposed to like, woo, right? Like this is uh, like this is crazy. So, So Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation. He goes on, he says, This is a light for the blind, a revela- excuse me, a light for, for those in darkness, a revelation for the blind, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. That's what he is. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person, when something's broke, I don't fix it myself. I'm not a do-it-yourself guy. I'm going to call the person that knows how to fix it type of guy before I make it worse, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? And the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were created through him. So if all of this that's broken was created through him, then I'm going to go back to the one that created it in the first place. Yeah. I don't know about you, but there ain't no do-it-yourself over here. Yeah. And so Simeon agreed with me, and he was looking for the one who created this in the first place. But here's another thing about that, right? You know how, like, when you have something that's broke or something that's not feeling good in your body, at first, you want a solution, but after a while, you get so used to it, right, BJ, that you just, you just get to a place where you're like, um, uh, it, it hurts a little bit, but I, I can, I'm fine, right? And you've been in pain so long that you're not even looking for comfort anymore. I think a lot of us spiritually are that. We sit down and we watch TV and we see murder and we see school shootings and we see tornadoes and, and we're just like, that's life. No, that's death. See, the garden was life. Everything after the garden is death. Think about that. We get so comfortable in our little comfort zone and our cozy homes and our cozy neighborhoods, or maybe they're not cozy, but we've just gotten used to it and say, that's just the cards I was dealt. But do you know that God never meant this for you? You were created to be in the garden. You were created not to experience racism, not to experience fear of this and fear of that. You weren't created for that. You were created to be in the garden in perfection. But you've been here for so long that you've forgotten about the garden and perfection, so you're satisfied with what you got, and you call this life. This is death. This is death. And you should be searching for a solution to get back to life. That's what Simeon was doing. And who knows how Simeon was living. He could have had a nice house, nice car, nice job, nice status in the neighborhood, but he still said, even if I have all these things, it's all dung to me in comparison to the garden in comparison to being in the presence of God the Father. And so look at this, y'all. He says, it says, And his father and his mother, verse 33, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The joy of the Lord is also the source of our struggle. And you would have a, it's like, hold on, joy, struggle? That don't even like, that's, there's some tension there, right? Yeah, but think about this. Many, like those Israelites, when Jesus came, see, Jesus became the only way back to the garden. But in their minds, they had built up many different things of what he was going to be like. Just like you and I, we have many ideas in our head and many expectations of what joy and comfort and and glory and hope and and happiness and success. We have our own ideas. And so what happens is we come into the temple already holding our ideas, already holding our expectations, already holding what we think is our own hope. And and, and God puts in front of you a gift that you have to receive, but to receive it, you got to put down anything else that you're holding, and that's a struggle because I'm 39 years old now and I've been holding on this and it's been doing pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. Do you see where I live? Do you see the church I go to? Do you see my wife? you see my daughter? I'm doing pretty good. Why do I got to put this down when I'm not sure if that's really what you say it is? You see the tension in that? You see the struggle in that? And, and there's, so the joy of the Lord becomes the source of our struggle because to have this joy, you got to put everything else down. And trust that when you hold him, he's enough, that he's sufficient, that everything else will fail you. And and so it becomes a fall and the rise of many. Many will see Jesus, the Bible says, like a stone that they trip over because they were expecting something else. They were expecting this Superman king to come down, not this man being born to a poor poor family that couldn't even afford the proper sacrifice, so they had to do the 2 pitch. He was supposed to be this king that conquered all my oppression. We ain't supposed to lose anymore here on earth because of him. And he's a carpenter who died on a cross? That's what you call victory? You want me to put down all these material, tangible things that are right in front of me for that? And there's the struggle inside of you. There's the struggle to believe that. But Simeon believed it so much that not only did he put everything down, he was ready to put his life down. You could take me now. I'm good. I have found the answer to everything. And I will give up everything else for him. You hear where I'm going with this? The other struggle was this: like he said, Mary, even for you, it's gonna be it's gonna be a sword that pierces your heart. Like, like He's going to be opposed by many. And and can you think about that? How even if you are holding Jesus right now, how there's those that you love around you who who won't take him, who won't receive this gift that is so freely given, that's like it pierces you. And and to see them oppose him. but, but, But then here's the other thing. Like he reveals your heart too. So you may be holding him now with your lips. So you say all the right things on a Sunday morning. But when you get out there on Monday and you got to say it with your life, it's a completely different language. Because it's easy to say with your lips, but it's hard when the heart's revealed in your life. And, and, And when you're supposed to be the light of the world, because you go through the same things that anybody else go through. A tornado comes through, it don't care if you're Christian or not. It's a part of a broken world. COVID comes through, it don't care if you're Christian or not. It's a part of a broken world. Death comes through, it don't care if you're Christian or not. That's a part of this world being broken. And what happens is you're supposed to be a light that shows something that the world doesn't have. And the only difference between you and them is the joy of the Lord. Not the joy of your circumstances. Not the joy of your tragedy. But the joy of the Lord. Not the joy of your house, not the joy of your car, not the joy of your job, not the joy of your your, your financial security and your comfort, not the joy of your your poverty, not the joy of all your your bad stuff, the joy of the Lord. You're supposed to display that to them so that they say, where did you get that from? And you say, here you go. I got something to spare, right? Right? I'm preaching this morning, man. I'm telling y'all. I'm telling y'all. I feel it, y'all. I'm telling you. I feel it. And so I want to end it with this. Nehemiah 8. It's a big jump here. Now remember, in in anything from Joshua to Esther, you're reading the history of Israel, of how they've, they've been removed. Humanity has been removed from the garden. Then there's a law given. Of what it takes to get back to the garden. A standard of how to get back into the garden if you're trying to do it on your own. And Israel spends Joshua through through Esther proving that you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. And so what happens in Nehemiah? There's this return out of exile. They've been punished for for sinning against God and breaking that rule, those rules, those standards. And so they were exiled from their place, and now they've returned to the place, and they're building up this temple. And it's time for this, this seven, every seven years, you read the law to remind the people, to remind the people. And so they gather like this at like six in the morning and, and everybody's standing up because everybody wants to hear the word of God and Nehemiah and, and, and Ezra and the Levites, they, they get on this platform just like this and, and Greg, there's this, there's this wooden like pulpit, right? There's this wooden pulpit that they're, that they're preaching from and, and it says this in verse eight, it says they read from the book, the, the law of God. Remember, Genesis one and two is a part of the law where you read what you had, perfection. And the rest is telling you what you have to do to get back. And so they read this, and they were translating to give the sense so that they understood the meaning. In other words, it was written in Hebrew, but these people have been—they've been removed from their nation, from their country for so long. They were speaking another language was their first tongue, and so they're translating it into that Aramaic lang- language. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep." For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Why? Why were they weeping at the reading of the word of God? Because when they understood it, it showed that there was no hope. When they thought about what they were coming out of, even coming out of exile, it still wasn't the garden. I I look at you. I'm the benevolence leader. I'm I'm over the counseling. I'm I'm over the prayer team. So I get a lot of your emails. I get your text messages. You've sat in front of me, broken. I see you. And I have nothing else to offer you but the garden. And that's only through Jesus. So they were They were hearing that they can't get back to the garden. You ever been watching a game and you see the people who are down in the fourth quarter by an insurmountable amount? And so they can't, they lose strength because they lose hope. Have you ever lost strength physically because you've lost hope spiritually? And just weep because you're just ready to give up? How many of you this morning struggled to just wake up, to just bring yourselves into this building? And how many of you, maybe it's not you struggling, but it's your loved one and you hurt for them and their situation seems like there's no hope. And so so Nehemiah, they're weeping and and he says to them, this weird thing happens. He says, go eat of the fat and drink of the sweet. He's like, go eat the good food and, and drink the good drink. And for those who can't. Send portions to them so that they have something so everybody has something for this day is holy to our Lord He says don't be grieved. Why because the joy of the Lord is our strength I want you to think about that just come in with me real quick just come in I'm struggling as I look at the world I I Can't not watch the news I can't and and I see in Indianapolis murder after murder after murder and it's not just another person dies every day for me it's not the way it was meant to be and my daughter is struggling as she's trying to adjust to college and my wife is struggling and I'm struggling and and so many of you whether you want to tell me or not you know you're struggling you were not meant to live in this world something that doesn't work the way it's supposed to work is broke this is not the way it was supposed to be. How do you not weep? How do you not become hopeless? How do you not lose strength when you see what's going on around us, what's going on in your own life? So how do you wake up? How do you go another day? How do you love those who don't even love you back? How do you come and worship on a Sunday morning? How do, I, how do you do any of this? The great joy of the Lord is the source of our strength. You see, I I read Revelation 21.4, and it tells me that because baby Jesus came and because Simeon held him and because everything Simeon said was true, that this baby will be the reason that there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no disease, no destruction, no division, All the things that we're experiencing now, it basically tells us that the end is the beginning, the garden. And so this song we're about to sing that maybe you've never heard before, you know how we do this. My last point is them. And when Isaiah gets up here, there's these words he says. He says, "I'm, I'm pulling on joy out of heaven's reserve because all the other things I picked up, they ran out. They don't have any reserves. They all failed me. So I have to pull on the reserve that doesn't run out. And he says that there's enough stored up that for every winter, every cold and dark time in my life, there's enough that I'm served this joy. He, said, he says, I'm seeing beyond my current circumstance, this joy that I have is my inheritance, is mine. That's the joy of the Lord. The the, the last verse he says this, and I'm going to get out your way. The last verse he says this. He says, uh, there's a king sitting on his throne, meaning it's finished because he's sitting. He's preparing a place for me to call home. Like, this is not my home. This broken world is not my home. He's, pre- he's sitting on the throne. He's preparing his place for me to call home. And, and when I see him, the, the words say, when I see him face to face, face to face, face to face, not this ideal that I can face to face. says, when I see him face to face, you know what he's going to do? He's going to wipe the tears from my face. He says, that's the joy of the Lord. What else do you want? What do you have now that can do that? Nothing. And so, and so this is not just for the non-believer, this is for the believer. The non-believer, perhaps you've never held Jesus. I'm asking you pick him up this morning. And it's amazing how nothing about your past, present or future makes you disqualified to hold him. You can hold him just the way you are. Just receive the gift. And for the believer who already knows this, and perhaps you had this moment where you experienced this joy, when did you put him down? Where did you put him down? Go pick him back up. See, Christmas for me is not December 25th. Christmas for me is May 28th, 2011, when I first held Jesus in my hands and realized he was the solution to everything in my life. And every time I have anxiety and doubts and fears, I realize I put him down somewhere, and I go find where that's at, and I pick him back up and say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He is my hope. So I'm asking you to stand up with me. Stand up with me. You don't know the words, but you know the words. And when you sing it, sing it from that understanding that God is looking at you. And I am looking at you. And I know, I know it's hard to even stand up. I know it's hard to lift up your hands. I know you don't have the strength to lift those hands up anymore because life is defeating you over and over. But there's a consolation after the defeat that says he won. Maybe, maybe he won the battle, but he didn't win this war. Oh, so you raise your hands, you lift them up, or you keep them here, whatever you do. And you, you find the strength that you need to push on again in these words, the joy of the Lord is my strength, he is our hope. Amen.